Good morning. Man, it's good to see everybody here. I am not Alex, and I'm definitely not Pastor Jacob. But I am Peter. <laughs> For those of you who are visiting, I'm just a lowly member of Asante, so I'm not, uh, I'm not a pastor here. I'm not anybody cool. But I am here to bring you the Word of God, which I'm very privileged to do, and I love doing it, and I'm glad I can. Um, we've been discussing the book of Galatians. We've had a nice long series on that. And I want to preface with what I'm about to say this morning and before we get to the message with, I know the book of Galatians, it seems like it's been somewhat repetitious, right? I mean, over and over, Paul has been talking about being saved by grace apart from works of law and apart from all anything dealing with ourselves or saving ourselves. And he's gone through, um, we've gone through four chapters now. And Paul's given us different angles to look at that from. And if I may be so bold to say this today, Galatians chapter 5 really knocks you between the eyes. All right. So he's going to really drive it home. And uh, he uses some interesting language uh, to do that. And perhaps maybe some of us, it'll shock us because we may not even realize, hey, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Um, boy, that's pretty, that's pretty harsh. So um, let's keep that in mind. It's sort of today a home run. He's going to drive this home before he gets into the part at the end of his letter of Galatians, getting to some practical applications and how this all applies to our daily lives. So we're going to be talking about grace versus law again today. And as I was putting this message together, I couldn't help but think um, of some of the activities I've been taking part of myself and some research over the past month. And uh, if you go ahead and get us a slide up here behind me, some of us may recognize this flag. Okay, um, This is actually a part of my ancestry. It goes all the way back to Culpeper County, Virginia, where the Culpeper Minutemen we're ready and prepared to fight the Revolutionary War back in 1776, okay? Actually, 1775, uh, right before the actual revolution uh, took place and, and broke out. And my great-great-great-great-grandfather fought in that war, and his name was Peter Razor. <laughs> so, and that's my name, so... I was named after my dad. My dad was named after him. Now, why do I bring this up? Because when we think about this passage of Galatians 5, what we're going to be looking at, so if you want to get your Bibles ready, Galatians 5, 1 through 15, if I had to summarize in one word what this passage is about, it's freedom. Freedom. And, of course, that's what the Revolutionary War was about. It was about freedom, wasn't it? And, you know, I kind of take pride in some of this stuff. And uh, on the next slide, you'll see I got two of the words circled on that flag, liberty or death, right? Liberty, freedom, freedom or death. And as significant and wonderful as the revolution is, and some of these things that I've been finding out about my uh, ancestry, in fact, even one of them fought in the War of 1812. Um, you know, we, we celebrate freedom. We love freedom in our country. And it's a good thing. You know, I'm all for it. Um, all about patriotism and all that sort of a thing and what uh, we stand for in that regard. Um, but, you know, when we think about freedom uh, in that context, there, there's actually a, a better freedom than that, isn't there? And we have a choice, just like this flag shows us, liberty or death, freedom or death. 
And that's basically the message that we have today in Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. At the end, we have a choice. We're either going to choose liberty, that is freedom, in Christ, or death outside of Christ. And so that is our main message today that Paul's giving to us. So let's start with Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. He says it right up front to us. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So it is for freedom that we are in Christ. It is for freedom that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins. It is for freedom that he rose from the dead. It is for freedom that we have our hope in Christ. It is for freedom. But what does that freedom look like? We're going to get into that a little bit more here in a second. But he warns them and he says there with that second highlighted phrase I have for us at the very end. Don't become submitted again to a yoke of slavery. So Paul's going to go on starting in the next couple verses. And he gives us, first of all, this is our first point. In Galatians 5, 2 through 4, here's one option if you are in a place where you're not a Christian yet, or if you are in the context here of which Paul is fighting against some false teaching about, well, you got to follow law and follow commands and also by grace, and then you can be saved. He says, look, here are the two options. I'm going to lay them out for you. If you are trying to seek a goodness, a salvation by law, this is, this is what it looks like. All right. And he says this in verses two through four. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Here in the context, if we remember from the past several weeks in our study, Paul is talking to a group of um, Christians who are Jewish, and they are trying to basically persuade others that, hey, Christ is great, grace is great, but you also got to be circumcised, all right? You have to become Jewish, in other words, and also have Christ. And, of course, as we've seen through the past several weeks is that Paul is saying, no, 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 that's not, that's not correct. That whole law thing... That has been fulfilled in Christ. It has now been set aside. We are under grace. We are in Christ. And so he's re-emphasizing this yet again. If you take circumcision, what does that mean? If you are saying you have to be saved, not just by Christ's sacrifice, but you also have to become Jewish, become circumcised, guess what that means? It's not just becoming circumcised. That's actually symbolic that now you also have to follow the entire law. See, it's not just about circumcision. It's about all of these other laws. So, for example, on the next slide, we can remember the Ten Commandments, right? That's often what we think about when we think of law. So we have, you know, don't have other gods besides me. Don't make an idol for yourself. Hey, these are, these are pretty simple, I guess, to follow, you know. Maybe stealing was a little bit difficult. You know, when we were kids, we needed a pencil. You know. Thank you. You know. Uh, needed, I'll give it back and then you forget. Okay. So you technically stole it. Okay, so maybe nine of them are pretty easy to follow, right? Well, you know, it's not just the Ten Commandments. Look on, look on the next slide for us. Here's some more commandments for you, okay? 
Uh, do not have other gods besides me. You know, don't make an idol for yourself. Oh, and then we've got, you must not exploit a foreign resident or oppress him. You must not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you lend money to my people, you must not change him interest or charge him interest. You must not follow a crowd and wrongdoing. Uh, wow, we could use that today, couldn't we? Uh, if you come across your enemy's stray ox or donkey, you must return it to him. Uh, and then we got the next slide. You must not deny justice to a poor person among you in his lawsuit. Okay, so maybe I can do all that. that that's pretty, well, wait a minute. There's more. Okay, next slide. You must not deny justice to a poor person among you in his lawsuit. You must not take a bribe. You're not to sleep with a man as with a woman is detestable. And, oh my goodness. We just keep going on and on and on. These are all the Old Testament commands. Now, definitely all of them wouldn't necessarily apply because they're about the Jewish nation. But these are all the moral laws that God has given us. But it doesn't even stop there. If you're trying to justify yourself in front of God based on following his commands, now we've got to consider even the New Testament. Now we have to think about, oh no, Jesus' commands. Remember his Sermon on the Mount? He's like, remember that law? It's kind of interesting here, the, the connection to the law of the Old Testament. He's saying, remember that Old Testament law? Well, actually, that's true, but there's, there's more to it than that. And so he gives that the... Um, uh, Sermon on the Mount, he says, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who lacks, who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, but I tell you, don't take an oath at all. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. But I tell you, you see the point here? Jesus has a whole lot of commands too that he gives us. So it's not just Old Testament Ten Commandments, Old Testament laws, but it's also Jesus' commands. And of course, there are a ton more in the Gospels, aren't there? But it's not just Jesus' commands. It's also other New Testament commands like the Apostle Paul gives us. And this is just Ephesians chapter 5 and going into chapter 6. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's a command, right? That's what we ought to do as husbands. Wives, submit your own husband, uh, to your own husbands as to the Lord. Children, obey your parents as you would the Lord, because this is right. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, so on and so forth. This is just a small clip from Ephesians 5 in the beginning of chapter 6. But, and there's a whole lot more. There are commands all throughout the Bible. There are laws all throughout the Bible. And so if you are trying to be justified... By law, this is applicable to us now, right? Because in Paul's context, it was circumcision in the Old Testament. But it's much more expansive than that. It's any kind of moral law that God wants us to follow. And there are tons of them. And the whole point that Paul is trying to show us here, that if we are trying to do this by law, Trying to be saved by law is not just about, quote, being a good person. It's not just avoiding the big sins like murdering or genocide or being some sort of tyrant or something like that. It's about everything. If you've ever fallen in one spot, that's bad. And if you're trying to be justified by law, you have to keep all of it. All of it, not just one. And the whole point is that we haven't. 
If we are trying to be saved and have a good relationship with God based upon following his laws, we will always fail. That is the point. And here in verse 4 of Galatians, if we are trying to do it by law, he says, you are severed from Christ. That word in the original language there is actually a very emphatic word. You are split from Christ. You are severed like a sword that comes down and slashes something in half. You are severed from him. You are not following in the way of grace. You've fallen away from it. You must focus on Jesus. You must focus not on law, but on grace. If you try to be justified by law, if you try to be a, quote, good person, it's not going to come out well. So we have two choices. The first choice is this. You can do it by law. You can try to be justified by law. That is, be seen as right in God's eyes by law. But here, here are the requirements. You've got to be a good person. In other words, perfect person. You have to follow all of it perfectly. Follow all the commands. But what's the outcome here? This is what's really interesting. You're actually severed from Christ if you try to do that. You've fallen from grace, Paul says. There's no hope, and it only leads to death. And the reason why is because of what Romans 3.23 tells us, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But thankfully, there is another choice, Paul says. He says, look, if you're trying to do it by law, it leads to being severed from Christ. But if you try to do it by grace, it leads to something much better. He says in verses 5 through 6, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. In the context here, this would be a very um, strong statement for those who are trying to put forward the idea that you have to be circumcised, follow that law, and then also add Christ to that to be a Christian. Because Paul is saying, look, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. If you were to say to a Jewish person in that context, that is huge. That is pulling out their religious rug right from underneath their feet. It's taking away their very foundation. Because it goes all the way back to their father, Abraham, who received circumcision as a sign of his faith. To be in covenant with God. And now you're saying it doesn't mean anything? That's exactly what he's saying. It doesn't mean anything. Because it cannot save. Romans 3.28, Paul says in a parallel letter, basically. Galatians is like a little microcosm or a little small abbreviation of the book of Romans. Romans 3.28, he wrote there this. He says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And then in Romans 3.30, God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith. And here's that contrast again, circumcision, uncircumcision, and the uncircumcised through faith. Here's the point for us. We can try by law, but what does that bring us? It brings us death. It brings us no hope. It brings us a severing from Christ, a severing from grace. But 
in Christ, if we try to be saved by grace, not based upon what we have done, but based upon what Jesus has done, then that brings about something more radical and something much more fulfilling, and it ultimately saves us. Philippians chapter 3, one of my favorite two verses that Paul ever writes in verses 8 to 9. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Same language there, right? Circumcision, uncircumcision mean nothing. And here he's saying everything is rubbish compared to Jesus. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And note what he says. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now we're going to get into some interesting discussion here in a second. But before we get to that, let's drive this home. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that is another way to say it, now that we have been saved by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If there is one main element that our world seeks, what is it? It's peace. They try to find peace in everything. Peace in our meditation. Now, my meditation with God can bring a little bit of peace, right? I mean, that's a good thing. It's one of the spiritual disciplines that we have. But only if it's meditating on Christ, right? <clears throat> peace through all sorts of other types of things. But if we have faith in Jesus, we have a peace that surpasses understanding, right? Another Pauline quote. So we have two choices here. Either by law which we've seen that you have to be a perfect person if you want to be that good person, right? Our culture is all about being a good person. It's kind of their sacred cow, right? It's kind of their idol set up on a pedestal. As long as I'm a good person, hey, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to be okay with God. But not, not according to Paul here, right? Not according to Scripture. You're severed from Christ. You've fallen from grace because you can't keep the law. And so the whole point is there's a better way. There's grace and in this case, you, you're going to be a bad person and you're going to break the commandments. But what's the result? Seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? It seems kind of weird. Okay, so I'm going to break the commandments. I'm going to be a bad person. But what's the outcome? The outcome is actually good as long as you have faith in Christ. The outcome is actually you're going to be in Jesus. You're going to have a relationship restored with God. We're going to be in grace. We're going to have hope. We're going to have peace. And we're going to have, and there's the word that summarizes our passage freedom a true freedom a freedom that can only be understood in christ now again as i mentioned before as we before we started um <clears throat> this is a reiteration right i mean this is just more repeat of the idea that we are saved by grace apart from works of law. We are saved by grace apart from our own doing. It's all on Jesus' work and what he did on the cross and what he did in his ministry and what he did when he was victorious over death through his resurrection. But it's easy to get detoured from that, isn't it? Isn't it easy to get our focus off of that? Even as Christians, we have to hear this over 
and over and over and over and over and over again. Because it is so easy as a human being to feel the weight of our guilt, to feel the weight of the terrible things we've done, and to think that somehow we can do something about it. And we can't. We just can't. We have to constantly put our faith, believe and trust in Jesus and trust in that promise. If God makes the promise, it's something you can take to the bank, right? There's always something disturbing about ourselves. Galatians 5, 7 through 12. We always get off track, don't we? And the same thing happened here within, this, within uh, the churches of Galatia. Paul tells them, he says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You know, what happened? You accepted the, the uh, gospel of grace that I preached to you, that you were saved by your faith and not works of the law. Well, what's going on here? He says, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. In other words, this is not from God. Okay, this is something totally different. It's no gospel at all, in fact, he says previously in the book of Galatians. So he's taking this pretty seriously, right? I mean, this is serious stuff. And we're going to see that even come out at the very end. It goes on to say there in verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So evidently, there's not a whole lot of people there among them that are teaching this idea of works plus grace. But there's some, and it's affecting a whole lot of people. It doesn't take very much, right? And he says in verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. So he's encouraged them, right? And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Well, this is getting pretty strong now. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? You see, the Apostle Paul, you know, when he started his missionary journeys, he's, we separate them into three major journeys. You can read them through the book of Acts. And I don't know if you ever recognize this, but the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, they follow Paul around everywhere he goes, <laughs> making trouble. And he's trying to show them and, and, and help them remember that. Remember all this stuff that I've been through, everything that I've been persecuted for. You know, if I'm preaching circumcision, then why are they still hating on me? The point is, is that I'm not preaching circumcision. It's contrary to what whoever this person is among you who's teaching you this stuff to what I preached you, preached to you about. And he goes on to say, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And then, oh, wow, here's the punch between the eyes. All right. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Now, because we have a mixed audience here. <laughs> and younger people and some of us are younger. I hope we understand what that word means. <laughs> I'm not going to go into the details of it. But this is pretty strong, isn't it? Did you ever realize the Apostle Paul will get in someone's face like this? You know, a, a type. Now, don't get me wrong when I say this. So, so hear me out. Let me say all that I want to say here. A lot of times our culture views Christianity as a nice, soft, lovey-dovey thing. And you're supposed to be like the Pillsbury Doughboy in the sky. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know what? Um, the Bible kind of gives us a different impression. There are times there are times when you have to lay it on the line, right? The gospel is being 
challenged here. The very foundation of faith, the very foundation for the reason Jesus came. And you do notice the sort of, uh, sort of uh, interesting connection here with circumcision, right? <laughs> he says, look, if these people who are preaching circumcision, if they're really all about circumcision, you know what I wish they do? I wish they just go ahead and emasculate themselves. Just do it the whole way. <laughs> There's also in some of the commentaries, they'll talk about how even some of the pagan rituals around them, some of the gods that they worship, that some of the uh, pagan priests, this would be a part of their actual worship to their gods is to do types of things like this. So there may be some sort of connection to that too, which they would be able to identify with. And he's basically, therefore, would be saying, you're acting just like the pagans. And you are condemned just like they are. If you are trying to be justified by being a good person. Because it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. So here's the, here's the ultimate idea. Just being a good person, represented by law here, behind me. Go to the, yeah, there we go. Cross it out. Let's just get rid of it, all right? Quit trying to struggle. Um, you know, when I was younger, didn't understand grace as well. Of course, I still don't think I understand it that well, but I try, right? We all have to grow in grace as we move forward in our faith journeys as we live. But when I was younger, I understood it even less, right? And I remember sinning and I'd be on my knees praying, oh God, I'm so, t I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Now that's good, I have a repentant, confessing attitude. I mean, that's good. But the problem was that inside and in my mind, you know what I'm thinking? I, God, I'm just not good enough, and I don't know if you love me anymore. Is there something I can do? Is there something I can sort of add, you know, a mark on here and, you know, get the balance weight out here, God, you know? You got to wipe that off. You got to get rid of it. You got to jettison that idea. And when you do, you know what's interesting is when I actually started learning about grace a little bit more and understanding it a little bit more, you know, the freedom that came was actually a little bit different than maybe perhaps we're thinking of freedom in regard to even this passage. The freedom is a lot different. How many of you have um, gotten a ticket before? You got a speeding ticket? Yeah. Ooh, you evildoers. <laughs> <laughs> Going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've gotten four, I think, in my life. So. <laughs> Most of them because I'm just dawdling along, woo, having fun, listening to Toby Mac, you know. The uh, windows are down. It's a great day. Oh, no, I'm going 50 and a 30. Whoops. <laughs> well, here's the point. You know, um, even if you sped, you broke the law, right? And I'm not talking just about civil law here. I mean, that's obvious. You broke the civil law. You know, you have to speed. That's what the state laws say. But because God tells us, to follow the laws of the government, as long as they're not against what he says, right? Then you've broken my commands as well, because I gave you the specific command to follow the state laws as long as they don't go against what I say. So if you've spent, you know what? Um, yeah. But here's the thing. Why do I tell you about that illustration? Well, why do I ask you about speeding? Because when you don't speed, don't you have a kind of freedom? Think about it. If 
I'm going down to 303, or let's be more practical, 163rd. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and I'm going 45, right, which nobody ever does on 163rd. Let's say you're going 45, right? You're actually going the speed limit. Do you have any fear of punishment or judgment or a cop coming after you? No. What do you have? You have freedom. <laughs> you have freedom from guilt. You have freedom from punishment. You have freedom from burden. It's the same idea when we're in grace. We're in Christ rather than the law. If you quit focusing on just trying to follow the law and you focus on pleasing Christ, guess what? You're not going to be punished. You're going to be free of guilt because you're doing what's right. You're doing what pleases the Lord, right? So it's an all-encompassing freedom. Now, here's what's interesting. Our last point, Galatians 5, 13 to 15 Here's what's, here's what's interesting. Um, Paul, he anticipates a sort of uh, objection to this idea that we're saved by faith and not by works. Uh, and, the, and the sort of objection that he anticipates is, oh, well, if, if you know, I got freedom, then I can just do whatever I want. Right. I don't have to follow the law at all. I can just be a monoxious jerk, speed around, you know, smack people, do whatever I want. You know, be mean, you know, curse people out, whatever. And Paul's like, no, 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 that's, that, that's not what I'm saying. He also does this in Romans. We'll get that into this, and we'll get to that point in a second. But first of all, let's look at Galatians 5, 13 and 15. He says, for you are called to freedom. Okay. Freedom, brothers. Only, here's the caveat. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That is to say, don't think because you're not under law or under works that you don't have to like do good things and that you can do just whatever you want. And you can just say, oh, dear God, forgive me. And now I'm saved again or I'm OK with you and everything's cool. And then uh, because I'm under grace, I'm just going to keep on sinning because I know I'm under grace. God will forgive me. It's no big deal. No, 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 no. You were saved for freedom, not to break the commands. Right. But freedom from keeping the commands to be saved. Huge difference. And he says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. It's kind of interesting. He goes on to actually say a phrase, but one word. It's love, right? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This actually starts another section that we're actually going to be looking at next week. But the point is this. When you're in grace, you follow love. When you follow love, what are you doing? Remember what Jesus said. What's the summary of all the commandments? Loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, right? Mind and loving your neighbor as yourself. So the whole point is not following this list of rules and laws, but now you are loving your neighbor. If you focus on love and grace and mercy, faithfulness and all these other types of things, that's what you're supposed to be doing. You're not saved by them. So don't try to use grace as an excuse. Oh, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm under grace. That's not the point, right? The point is now you are saved to do good things. Now you're empowered to do good things because that's just what we're supposed to be doing. 
That's how we're supposed to treat each other. That's how we were designed back in Genesis 1 before everything went haywire. Romans 6, 1 to 2, Paul anticipates the objection there. It's more thorough. If you want to read the whole chapter 6, that'd be great. But we don't have time this morning, so we'll look at the first two verses. He anticipates the objection again. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? You know, so in other words, are we to keep on sinning because we're under grace? So it doesn't really matter what we do anymore? Is that what you're saying? He's like, by no means. Now, our English translation actually doesn't bring it out as clearly as it does in the original language of Greek. That by no means there is actually the most emphatic way of saying absolutely no way, Jose. Okay. And he puts a rhetorical question there for us. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Once we die to sin, we're not supposed to live in it anymore. Now, we all know that we're still going to sin. We understand that. But the point is, are you living it? Are you practicing it? Or are you trying to live by the Spirit who empowers us to overcome those things? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, how do we see the connection then between the things we do or the good works, being a good person and our salvation? How, how do we see this? And I think if we pay close attention to the prepositions, it's really, it's really cool. So Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is, is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in other words, to put it in a nice, succinct phrase, we are saved by grace, through faith, for good works. In other words, good works shows what kind of faith you have. If you have a genuine faith, it's going to naturally work. It's going to naturally have fruit. So it's kind of like a tree. Is my tree up here yet? Let's go to the next slide. Oh, yep, there's the phrase. Oh, there's my tree. <laughs> I didn't draw it. <laughs> but it's not a very good-looking tree either. But <laughs> You can make fun of me if I drew it, but I didn't draw it. You can make fun of PowerPoint on this. Um, well, here's the point, right? I mean... If that were an actual tree, it would look like a good tree. It'd have fruit on it, right? Because that's what the fluffiness is supposed to represent. Um, so if you have faith, you naturally have good fruit. You do good things. So you're saved by grace through faith. But why are you saved? Well, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for good works. That's where works fits in. It doesn't fit in in the front. Be saved by works so that you can be also saved by grace or something like that. It, no, it's saved by grace through faith for Good works. Jesus himself said, we'll know a tree by what? No, a tree by its fruit. Yeah. This sort of acts kind of as a warning to us, as a sort of check of where our faith is at. If we are genuinely in the faith, if we have no good works, what kind of faith does that imply? Is it a genuine faith in Christ? Mm, we may want to check, right? Now, I'm not saying we can't sort of backslide and, and we're, we're still in faith. But what I'm talking about is the person who thinks they may be saved, but they act like a heathen and, they, and it just, there's nothing there at all, right? The dead tree. Where's the dead tree? Is the next slide? There it is. <laughs> the dead stick tree. If there's no fruit at all, you really got to ask yourself, what kind of faith do I really have? All right? 
Do I have a flourishing good faith? Or to put in, in Paul's words, an emasculated faith? One that's not really there. So here are two choices this morning, right? Just like the flag at the beginning that I'm sort of proud of, right? My ancestors. Liberty or death? Freedom or death? Here's, here's the idea. We'll do death first, right? We have the law. It brings death. But grace brings freedom, liberty. Let's have prayer. Dear God in heaven, thank you so much that you have Galatians 5 for us. You have the whole book of Galatians that teaches us about faith and works, grace, law, how it all fits in. Lord, we need to be reminded every, every day, not just every week, but every day of this. Some of us have difficulty. We beat up on ourselves constantly. I know I can be that way. A lot in the past I was. Um, but you want us under grace. You want us to have that mindset of grace. Living in Christ, which is freedom. Not viewing you as some judge sitting behind a bench with a gavel ready to slam it down and send us away from you but rather as a loving father like the prodigal son who's in that in that uh, parable that jesus taught he's there with his arms wide open we fail you pick us back up we sin you pick us right back up and we and you not only forgive us Lord, but uh, we need to forgive ourselves. Help us to do that. Help us to quit struggling so hard. It can be so exhausting to try to live by law because we can't do it. Help us to give it all up to you, lay all of our life at your feet, really trust in you and the promise that you give us that if we are in Jesus, that if we believe in him, if we are under grace, all the law is in trying to be a good person is wiped away. Not so that we can just live however we want, but that so we can live and be empowered by your Holy Spirit to please you and to love others like you want us to and how you designed us to be. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that needs to make that step needs to come to you with that kind of faith that the Bible's talking about. I pray the Holy Spirit is talking to him or her right now. Maybe even this week. Um, and convicting that person. In Jesus' name, amen.